We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 261. It's another split with the minor league Marlins. Well, you don't like splits? It's hard to it's hard to sweep a uh, two-game set, just like it's hard to sweep a doubleheader, right? Isn't that, isn't that what the saying is? I don't think the same principle applies there when oh. you don't play the games on the same day. Oh, I thought it, I thought it was just because it's two games, you know, back-to-back. Didn't really nope. matter if it's on the same day, different day, where you are. Yeah, Yankees can't win those two games, and uh, the the Marlins apparently have a phenomenal bullpen. They're really good, really good. Right. The whole pitching staff, you, phenomenal. You'd never know that the Marlins were tied for the worst bullpen ERA uh, coming into this two game series because they completely shut down the Yankees in extra, you know, through an extra inning game, and also uh, in the, in that game on Wednesday night. Well, this might be the curse of having the worst bullpen in baseball because when we played the Indians, they also had the worst bullpen in baseball, and they did pretty well against us too. So apparently if you have the worst bullpen in baseball and you go to play the Yankees, it's going to turn around. That's like that's like break the breaking point, and you start to uh, to pitch well. So good, good believe, for them. Can you believe that A-Rod's presence on the field in full uniform, warming up, instructing in Duhar, and, and down there on bat- with batting practice did not fire the team up? Yeah, no, that's surprising. Really surprising. I wonder how many scripted little anecdotes he had to, to say to the team and then just wouldn't talk to anybody after that because he didn't know what to say. 
I, I don't have anything left to say, guys. That's it. That's all I got in my pocket. Please don't talk to me any longer. Talk to my guys. Do you find it uh, funny that he went full uniform? Not full uniform. He didn't have the, the jersey top on, but he had the pants, the socks, the warm-up top on, everything. You got you to gotta be flexible. You got to be limber. And, you know, it's uh, nice. Those pants stretch. So I think, I think he he's going to do it. I had the sunflower seeds in the back pocket. Oh, 100%. He had the, uh, the eye black on, the sunglasses, <laughs> even though it's indoors. He's like, I'm going, if I'm doing this, I'm going to do this. Like, just maybe if I, if I look the part, Boone will think I'm on the team and, and put me on the bench and maybe I'll get a pinch hitting opportunity late in the game. You see, I think he's just trying to intimidate Boone. I think that was part of the, uh, part of the you know, look, this is what I would look like if I were the manager, just so you know. That is true. If A-Rod ended up being a manager, you know he would just be doing that every single day for a team. Just out there taking infield practice with the guys. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, good with, uh, I'm good with when we go to Florida. I don't know why when we go to Florida, all these special guests have to start coming into our clubhouse and, and poisoning it, like Alex Rodriguez and Jacoby Ellsbury. Can we, can we just stay <laughs> out? I don't think Ellsbury's a special guest. <laughs> can we just stay out of Florida, please, until after spring training, I feel like the Yankees should not go to the state of Florida. It's, it's, been, it's been a bad place to play baseball so far this year. Well, that's where all the injured guys are or, or where the old retirees are. Yeah, uh, we don't want to be there. Spring training, that's, that's great. That's, that's, where all, that's, you know, that's where they're going to be. We'll see them there. They'll, they'll do their little camps. They'll do their little drills. They'll put their uniform back on. They'll feel important, and it'll be great. They'll do some mentoring. You know, but I don't want injured players to start coming into the, leaking into the clubhouse and, and uh, you know, completely disrupting what's happening because that's what Ellsbury did. And I feel like ever since then, things have just not been right. That's like uh, last year. Do you remember the West Coast trip from hell? Of course, when, I when do. Chris Carter when Chris Carter couldn't catch the the ball yes. at first base because his eyes were closed, and then everything was bizarre world after that. Yeah, Billy well, Bean year, poisoned the the locker room. And this year, it's uh, Jacoby Ellsbury walks into the clubhouse, poisons the the clubhouse, and uh, it's bizarre world from there on. Yeah, because it really hasn't changed. It hasn't really changed much since then. We've had more people going on the disabled list. We've played more, you know, sporadic baseball. It's been a it's been a wild ride since Jacoby came into the building. Yeah, where was Ellsbury when Jay Happ got Coxsackie? Somewhere <laughs> he was somewhere lurking in the shadows. <laughs> he was somewhere. He was he was working deals with the uh, the clubhouse guys. I don't know what right. he was doing, but he was doing something. So you sp- you mentioned the injuries. Hopefully, the Yankees are starting to get healthy by September fifteenth, which is the last regular season Bronx Pinstripes event. Why don't you tell people about that? Yeah, this is the last one of the season. Definitely come out. Uh, we are we are starting to plan for 2019 now. I can't believe it because the schedule already came out. So we're, we're uh, circling some dates and looking into that. But this uh, September 15th is the last one. It's versus the Blue Jays. Uh, and currently it's a 4 o'clock game. It's a flex game. So we will let you know if it changes at all. Uh, but it is 64 bucks That gets you the T-shirt, the, uh, the, the game ticket. We're back in 205 where we belong. And uh, we'll be doing a pregame party at the dugout before the game, probably about two hours before the game. So uh, definitely get your tickets and come out, hang out with the crew. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of really good people in this. Uh, we've had just so many people that have repeat each, uh, each event and have come to um, you know, a few people that have come to all of the events and, and a, a lot of people that have come to, to many of the events too. So it's awesome to, to get to know everybody and uh, see familiar faces and then also some new faces. So uh, to encourage more people and to cur- encourage some new faces, we're doing the promotion for 
uh, captains. And if you are a captain of your group, that means if you are the organizer of your group for uh, 10 or more people, you're getting your ticket for free. We got your ticket uh, as a thank you for bringing more people out. That's that's kind of the whole point of this. You know, we want to build a uh, this community of people that go to the Yankee games, sit in the same section and just have a great time. Uh, and that's what that's what's happening so far. And then if you have five people or more, you get half off your ticket. So send a text message out, get into the uh, get into the message apps and, and, and do what you got to do and get your people to the game. It's a lot of fun, uh, but you can go onto the fan shop and get those tickets right now. So that's uh, uh, shop.bronxpinstripes.com. Yeah, or if people are just looking to go to a game for free, they just go on Tinder or something like that and gather nine people. Invite nine nine people to the game off Tinder, and then you get your ticket free. There you go. I didn't know you could do that, but let's do that. That's a good idea, too. I'll make sure to put you all together as well. All right. So be honest. Were you – did you have a little sparkle in your eye? Little? Did you get a little too excited when the Red Sox lost three games in a row and the Yankees cut it to seven back in the loss column? Well – I was looking at the score yesterday in the fifth inning when the Red Sox were losing and the Yankees were winning. And I was like, ooh, we could actually cut this down to eight. Or this, this could actually get down to a manageable number at some point in the near future. It would have been, I mean, would have been seven. I mean, at that point, it would have been six, well, seven games, six in the loss column, right. which is the number of games the Yankees have left with the Red Sox. So. So yeah, and I'm again. I'm not. I'm not looking at exactly that number to to say. Oh well, this is how many we have. So if we win all of them, we can get there. No, no. no. I'm just trying to cut that number down and keep cutting that number down. So look, I think they've cut the number down a little bit, and they just get to keep doing that. So yes, I did get excited, and I'm still honestly. I, maybe it's completely delusional, but I'm still. Uh, I still have uh, that that glimmer of hope for for first place because we're seeing the Red Sox start to play a little bit different. You know, maybe that will will, will turn into a uh, you know eight out of ten losing streak or something like that. Uh, I think it's very possible still, and the schedule not the the very near future schedule, but for the remaining of the uh, of the season, the Yankees have a very very favorable schedule still. So um, there is but there's still here's hope. the. Here's the problem with that. I agree with you. The Red Sox are not... Uh, I could see the Red Sox maybe hitting a little bit of a speed bump. They have Chris Sale on the DL. They have a tough schedule right now. But the Yankees aren't playing well. No, they're not. So you can't catch the Red Sox. Just because the Red Sox may falter and, and play closer to 500 for a couple-week stretch, That you still have to play really well. And you have to win 70% of your games if you're going to catch the Red Sox. And the Yankees are not doing that. Well, I mean, they did sweep the the Blue Jays, and then they won one out of two. So uh, they're they won four but, out of five. So but they're you over seventy percent. You know what I you know what I mean. I mean, <clears throat> I understand there's injuries. The Yankees with DD being placed on the DL. What what do we say? I, I put it in here. Forty six percent of the Yankees' home run production from 2017 is now on the disabled list when you uh, have DD Judge and Sanchez all out. And as you made a note, not one person from the starting infield is out there right now, and we don't count Greg Bird. <laughs> no, yeah, Chase Headley, not so much here. Not that that's a problem, but um, we've upgraded second base and uh, and third base. But yeah, no, it's it's a different team right now. It's just that's the bottom line. It's a, it's a different team. They don't have their their uh, their power out there. They don't have their superstars. They don't have their their chemistry guys in the game every day. And I think that makes a huge difference when you're either sitting in the dugout and cheering your guys on. You're still there, like Judge is, and you know making sure that he's there for his guys. It's just different when you're not playing as well. So. You know they're going through major adversity right now. There, there's just no other way to put it because they're 
they're not a not the same team. They're just not the same team. So the confidence is not there that they're going to score runs late in the game or that if a ball is hit to right field and a guy's trying to go first or third, that that guy's going to either stop because there's a, a cannon in right field or they're, he's going to get thrown out at, at third base. Like There's no confidence all around the field, whether it's at the plate or on the defensive side. It's a, it, and it's a problem, but it's a, it's a problem that's in front of them. So what you're saying is you agree with Pedro Martinez. <laughs> I'm st- I'm, it's annoying that Pedro is, is, <laughs> is relevant again. Can, hey, Pedro, stop tweeting and just go fix Severino again, please. Can we do that? <laughs> right. Where's, where's, uh, can you get, send some uh, text messages to Severino? Yeah. Maybe, hey, move your hand positioning or, or don't do this. Maybe do that so you can get back to dominating. But on Twitter, Pedro said the Yankees don't seem to have the energy of a winning team. I understand some key players are injured, but they don't seem to be hustling out there. I have a lot of respect for the Yankees and the players they have, but right now they're not the same team that played the Red Sox early in the season. The team that the Yankees have in the bench should beat the uh, beat teams like the Marlins. This is how this is how Pedro's uh, comment just lose re- loses complete relevancy <laughs> and, and just uh, and goes away from me because one they're not the same team that they played uh, that were, when the Red Sox were in, no shit yet no they're not they're not the same team literally not the same team different people totally different people and you're talking about the bench please our bench is complete trash right now besides Mr. Torres with all due <laughs> respect the the rest of the bench is complete trash there's nobody there right, right. They, and it was highlighted in that extra inning game where Boone was deciding between Shane Robinson and Torres to pinch hit in the ninth inning because he had already had Voight, who's no better. But the bench is made up of Toe, Voight, Robinson, and Higgy. Higgy's the backup catcher, so you don't really even count the backup catcher as a bench player. And I had someone tweet me. It was hilarious. Um, Got to give him a shout-out. Mike F. Yank the mic on Twitter. He called it Jay Walker's row. <laughs> It's it's not a good it's a it's a bad bench and you know like you look at these guys and Voight obviously just came over in the trade from uh, from the Cardinals for uh, for for our boy um, Chase and Shreve and and then Sugar Shane Robinson has you know been on this team fifteen times I think and, and maybe released and picked up and then brought back and I get him confused and the other guy that was uh, up and down for like fifty times I think he's on the Orioles now but the um, Torres is uh, like. I'm fine with Torres pinch hitting because he make he makes good contact every single time. Like he's a, he's a he's a tough at bat. Like I got no problem with that. That that is not a, a bad situation for me. I'm fine with uh, with throwing in Torres in a, in a pinch hit spot. But the rest of the bench, he's a bench player. He's a good bench player. The rest of those guys, not yes. so much. And, and not to, not to take anything away from Higgy because he's just put in here because he's depth at this point. No, I, I agree with you. Torres is a good bench player, but. When your backup outfielder is Shane Robinson, who in the month of August has played 14 games and only has one hit, and then your other backup player is Luke Voigt, who, let's, let's be honest, does not belong in the major leagues and can only play one position, and that's first base. That doesn't really give you much versatility. No, and we don't really know who that guy is either. You know, I feel like he's, he, he just came over, and, and we know he's a first baseman. And he was... I think they look at Voight and see a big body, a big, beefy man out there, and think, oh, this dude might hit a ball 400 feet. But he doesn't. You look at his numbers he even doesn't. in, in AAA uh, when he was with the Cardinals, he didn't hit that many home runs. So, so what, what is he there for? What is the purpose? What is the point? Well, they needed another first baseman, I guess, and, and they can't put Neil Walker over there because Neil Walker now has to play 15 positions, and, and they're all in the But infield. if you call up Tyler Wade, then Neil Walker doesn't have to be the backup second baseman. He can be the backup first baseman. I mean, I agree with you with the Tyler Wade thing. I don't understand why Tyler Wade's not playing in the major leagues right now. Like To me, 
put him in there. You could fill two spots because he could play the outfield. He's an athlete. That kid is super athletic, probably one of the better athletes in the uh, organization. And he was playing it in spring training. He was playing it early in the season. They had him in center field. So, you know, I, I have no no idea why Tyler Wade can't be relied on as that guy. If they had Neil Walker going out the right field, why not have a guy like Tyler Wade up here who can well, Wade's going to give you be much more better athletic. defense. Yeah, absolutely. He's going to give you better outfield defense than either Robinson or Neil Walker. I think so. I mean, I, and and tremendous speed that we saw they must, earlier in this. But season. they don't think the organization certainly does not think that that um, Tyler Wade is a better right fielder right now than Shane Robinson. Otherwise, he would be well, on this team. That's asinine. But it, there's no other Shane reason. Robinson. Shane Robinson is is. I think we said this last time. He doesn't even belong in AAA. He's he on this team right now because he's a backup. He could be because he has outfield experience. That's the reason he's there. He's not he there for anything else. He's in the else. league that Ricky Henderson played in when he was like 49 years old. Didn't Ricky Henderson? Which one was that? I th- oh, like an independent ball? It was like an independent league out in California. That's where Shane Robinson belongs. You just said he's a, he belongs in the same league as Ricky Henderson. I can't even say that. When he's 49 years old. I don't care. <laughs> I can't say that. I can't put those two names in the same sentence. You got a Hall That's of Famer true. here. What are you talking Sorry, about? Sorry, Ricky. Sorry, Ricky. I love you, Ricky. I got a starting lineup right in front of me. I'm looking at it from like 1985. For what? The starting lineup. Those little uh, the little figurines, you know. Oh yeah. Anyway, yeah. No, he's uh, he's a terrible he's a terrible player. He shouldn't be on the team. And and when you're looking at the bench, it's uh, it's overwhelmingly bad. It's it's not it's not what you want by any means. Um, and thankful thankfully, Torres is up, and he's a little bit of a, a glimmer of hope. God, well, God that man gives about- me hope. Let's t- right now talk about some of the waiver stuff that's been going on this week and, and why the Yankees are maybe not getting involved. So the Nationals sold off everybody. Daniel Murphy to the Cubs. Matt Adams back to the Cardinals. Harper was claimed by a mystery team. There were some reports that it was the Dodgers, but no trade was worked out for him. And everyone, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, why haven't the Yankees done anything? It, it, they're in a bad position because the waiver priority goes on record. And the Yankees, despite the fact they're in second place, have the second best record in Major League Baseball. So they're picking or their, their priority in the waivers is second to last. So all of these guys aren't even getting to the Yankees. However, that doesn't mean they can't work something out with a team like the um, Blue Jays for Curtis Granderson or for Danny Valencia. Uh, because those guys have totally cleared waivers and can be worked out a deal with any team. Here's the problem I have with with people like pining for a guy like Curtis Granderson. First of all, Curtis Granderson is in the twilight, like the the very distant twilight of his career at this point. Uh, he can he has some pop. He could play some outfield, but he he really doesn't add much to you. He's going to strike out a ton. You know, when he went to the Dodgers at the end of last year, he was awful. Uh, he was just he was a hole out there. He, he did not produce at all with the bat. And and I gotta believe at this point, like yeah, the guy keeps himself in great shape. Probably one of the nicest guys in baseball, so I have a hard time talking anything, any kind of crap about Curtis Granderson because he's truly one of the one of the great guys of uh, of baseball. But I just don't think he adds really much to this team. So if people want to go out there and trade somebody really? away for Curtis Granderson, I just don't think he adds much. I think you you bring a guy up like Tyler Wade, and you know you, you're not going to get the power. Uh, but again, you're going to strike out a ton with Curtis Granderson. And Tyler Wade at least gives you a little bit of upside with uh, with what he can do and flexibility where he can go. Curtis Granderson can't play anywhere else besides right field. Like that's it. Curtis Granderson has a 772 OPS right now for the Blue Jays, and Shane Robinson has a 405 OPS. Again, I'm not comparing him to Shane Robinson. I, I don't know why what, Shane that's Robinson. That's what you're is talking here. about right now because he, the, your backup outfielder, your backup right field. All Shane Robinson done is pl- is, is play right field, and he he can't hit. 
and he can barely field. At least Curtis Granderson can give you some offense. And if it's not Curtis Granderson, why not Valencia? I mean, this is and why I agree this, with you. But again, this I, is why I'll Tyler Wade should Tyler, be there. I'll even Tyler take Wade's Tyler Wade. Uh, give me someone from the minor leagues other than Shane Robinson. I'm in agreement with you. But with the Yankees just sticking with Shane Robinson, from the, uh, an outside perspective, you'd say, oh, they must have no other option. And that's not true. They do have other options. They do have other options. They, they absolutely do. And, you know, who knows if, if Cashman went to the Blue Jays and said, this is who I'll give you for Curtis Granderson. And they said, no, I want, I want X player. And it was way more than Brian Cashman Maybe. wanted to give up. Maybe that's you the case. You may be right. Because, because the Blue Jays might be looking at the Yankees and saying, hey, you guys are desperate. I'm going to hold you to the fire. And if that's the case, fine. Don't give up too much for, for Curtis Granderson right now. But do something. <laughs> do something else. I, I really don't understand why Tyler Wade's not in the, on the team. Because like, th- that's a guy who has major league experience and can help this team right now. He can absolutely help the team. And they have, they have a, you know, Pedro's talking about this energy problem and how they're looking at, he's looking at his and see hustle. First of all, I think Pedro just talks in generalities and he's like trying to make some headlines because when he speaks them, like he sounds like a, like an idiot sometimes, but when he, he's trying to tweet these things out that are controversial, he'll get more play. Uh, you know, I think that's part of it. Like the, the lack of hustle, I'm not really seeing that anymore. I've seen, we've seen it a couple of times in isolated incidents. He's playing off of old stuff. Like he's just trying to get in the headlines. But you have a guy like Tyler Wade. If you're trying to add that, like that's a guy who's got a lot of energy, who who has a lot of chemistry with the the guys that are currently on the team. To me, it's a it's a no brainer. You add a, a guy like that to to come up. And, and yeah, I think he's going to come up. You know, when the rosters expand. But why not just do it now? Why not? It's it, it's baffling to me why they're not doing it. Do you think that the Yankees are not calling up Wade because he looks like Jacoby Ellsbury and some people in that clubhouse might get confused that it is <laughs> Jacoby Ellsbury and then they will be infected with the Jacoby Ellsbury virus? Possibly. Maybe that's why they're not doing it while they're in Florida. So they're like, you know, the, everybody's expecting Ellsbury to walk around the corner. If they see Wade, it could be confusing because we did see that in spring training. They look, you put sunglasses on those two guys and you're, uh, you, you see them in the dugout. They look identical. Yeah. Yeah. Tough. It's, um, a, it's a tough, uh, tough position there. You got to mess with the psyche. Who do you hate more, A-Rod talking or Pedro talking? I can't tell. It sounds like you hate both of them. Well, I, I, no, I, I hate A-Rod talking way more. I, I, I feel like I expect it from Pedro because I, I have a different hatred for Pedro, Pedro. Even though I don't really even hate him anymore, he's just, he's just not on my radar at this point. Um, so, yeah, it's A-Rod. I can't stand A-Rod. And, yeah, I, and I feel I, like so many people have come around with me now and they've realized I've had, I've had some, I won't name names here, but at the last <laughs> outing, I have had some very, very pro A-Rod guys come up to me and be like, you know what? You're right. He's awful. Well, he's awful in the full game broadcast. He got exposed. He is a studio guy where he only talks for the five minutes before a game and the five minutes after the game and he can read his one-liners that he's prepared for weeks done boom out but when he has to actually go off the cuff and be there for a full nine innings it's not good no no it's not good and i i tried to tell everybody that that these were just horrible horrible red produced uh scripted lines and everybody's like, no, they're great. They're great. It's Alex being funny. And no, it's not. It's somebody else no, being funny. He doesn't know how to be funny. I'm pretty sure his daughters are writing the, the, uh, the jokes for him, which, which are good for them. You know, that's good. Good job. Glad it's a family thing. But, you know, he's, he's not good. He's just not good. His daughters? His daughters, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the extra inning win on Tuesday night, that's a game that the Yankees are lucky to even have. So we're saying they split with the Marlins, but they were lucky to win that game. 
because the Marlins totally gave it away. 0 for 10 with runners in scoring position. They completely gave away two golden scoring opportunities, or do you want to say the Yankees escaped them in the ninth inning with Chad Green and then in the 11th inning with A.J. Cole? But you see why the Marlins are a minor league team. I call them the minor league Marlins for a reason. They waste opportunities with runners in scoring position like that. They make small mistakes. Like last night, they, were, they tried to let the Yankees back in the game. They have outfielders missing cutoff men. They don't do things right, yet they were still able to win a game from the Yankees here. And then also for the season series, they split with them 2-2 in, in this, the four-game season series. Yeah, I mean the the game one was was pretty crazy. With the it was a it was a long game, obviously because it went into extra innings. But uh, it was a roller coaster of emotions for for what was a one one game for a while, and then a two one game, and then you know you have AJ Cole come in and you know get get into a bases loaded jam all by himself. It was it was it was nice of him to do that, and and then get out of it, which was just completely mind blowing. I'm sitting there like in complete shock that AJ Cole got out of. Uh, the jam that he did, and you know, and, and when you're looking at the pecking order, it's it's definitely in question. Although I, I must say, Tommy Canley has not pitched great since he's been up. We saw him uh, pitch pretty bad last Saturday uh, at the game, and then you know, even uh, even last night, he gave up uh, some you know some runners he that were came in through one pitch and gave it an immediate double. Yeah, so <laughs> on the first pitch, RBI double. But he so did he did close you. it out. You know, at the end of uh, at the end of uh, the the first game and, and pitched well because it looked like he was a pissed off Tommy Canley. So it's hard to say that you know the pecking order. Uh, you know, he's not the same guy as he was last year. So it's hard to say uh, something about the pecking order. But but I will say this is that AJ Cole. There were a lot of guys unavailable that we didn't realize, I think, too. Um, David Robertson, we, I don't think a lot of the fans realized that he was unavailable until we're like, well, David Robertson must not be available because he's not, he's not warming up. He, he's we, haven't, a, we haven't seen him get up, anything. He's, yeah, he's got a, quote, tender shoulder. Right. So, you know, it, it looks like A.J. Cole was the guy at that point. I mean, he's, he's basically, you know, when they traded away Adam Warren, it's insert A.J. Cole in Adam Warren's spot. He's not so much just the long guy anymore. He's not that guy that is going to come in and do, um, you know, throw multiple innings because they need to get through. He's coming in in other situations now, too. And then when he gets in trouble, nobody's warming up. We're just going to let A.J. Cole get out of this. If he gives up a home run, maybe two, we're going to let him go out there and maybe uh, give up a third home run. Look, Boone is driving some people mad with, with uh, with the way that he sticks with guys. And I think at this point in, in what we've seen with him, by far the biggest stumbling block that I have with him is that he has way too much faith in guys for getting out of trouble. And he stays way too long with guys, whether it's a starter when they're gassed or a reliever when they're not supposed to be in that damn game. And it's clear that they have nothing. But is the fact that he left Cole out there a product of him just having too much confidence, too much unjustified confidence in Cole? Or he knows he has nobody else to back him up behind him in the bullpen. And he was saving Chapman for a possible save situation. And we'll get to Chapman in a second. But the bullpen's thin. Like you just said, the Robertson wasn't available. We didn't really understand that at the time. Canely has been up and down all season. So, so what, is he, what is he to do in that situation? I get in the moment people flipping out. People were blasting Boone because he was leaving Cole in there. And they're saying just because Cole escaped trouble doesn't make the decision correct. But yeah. but what is the alternative there? No, I mean when you find out when, when we all found out that that D Rob was unavailable, um, and that yeah you're, you're saving Chapman for a save situation, which I understand. Um, 
it, it, there's nobody else. I mean, the bullpen is extremely thin at that point. So yes, I, I, I see, I see what happened at this when you're when you're looking back and you know what the options were. Um, he didn't have very many options. The fact that AJ Cole got out of that was an absolute miracle. I, it's still I can't believe it. I look back and I watch the uh, the video of that inning and I have no idea how he got out of that inning. Um, it's, it's, it was a completely lucky win. Oh, oh, absolutely. And then you know when when Chad Green comes in and he and he gets in, he came in. I think it was a first and third. He got into a first and third situation, uh, and yep. then the bases were loaded. You know you can expect a guy like Chad Green to potentially get out of that with his stuff, right? Because he's got that. He has sure. it in him. He's got the last year. They said he's got the best stuff in the bullpen. Like the bullpen guys were saying this. So high you, spin rate fastball. Yeah, you you could see that. You could see how he could get out of a, a situation like that. So that one didn't surprise me as much. And. Uh, I think he was probably the most surprised if you saw the look on his face when he was walking off, like a lot of a uh, lot of relief in, in his face. But got got away with one there. Yeah. He, well, he got angry there. Once it got first yeah. and third, you could tell he ramped it up a yeah. little bit because his fastball usually lives around 96. And I saw him touch 98. And there was tail on it, too. He had some good movement on that ball and more Did movement hear- that I've seen in uh, in him coming in. So we need to piss him off more. Did you hear the, I believe it was on the Yes broadcast with Michael Kay saying that Romine forced Green to throw a couple change-ups in his previous outing to um, just get him off only fastball slider. And then um, he, or maybe it was not his previous outing, but an earlier outing this season. And since he started throwing a change-up a little bit, it's actually made his fastball even better. Weird. I feel like I, I, I feel like I could walk in and be a pitching coach right now. It's it's not that hard of a concept. I mean, Austin Romine gets it. Like, just show <laughs> throw, the other pitches. Throw, th- just throw the pitch. Just, Doesn't yeah, matter. If I don't five care. Feet out of the zone. Just throw the pitch. Yes. Just throw the pitch. Just show that you will throw it. That's it. That's all you have to do. When you have a fastball like some of these guys do, all you have to do is th- is show a third pitch. It's it's not that difficult. It really isn't. Just learn how to throw it over the plate occasionally. And even no, if you don't, it who doesn't cares? need to be. Yeah, it needs to be near the plate because if it's over the plate, it might get blasted. It's 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 uh, it's not a novel concept. It's not a new concept. It's not anything different than than people have been doing for years and years and years in baseball. If you show a third pitch and you have a freaking live ninety nine mile an hour fastball, it puts more doubt in the back of the mind of the, of the batter. It's science. It's easy. Let's just do that. <laughs> My God. <laughs> The science, bitch. It's it's crazy how how you know what. But I like the thing is is that I think these guys get so comfortable throwing, um, you know, their two pitches, and they know that they have uh, they could throw that on a dime, and and they just lack the confidence to throw anything well, else, and they always have it in the back of their mind. Well, if I do throw that third pitch and I get beat on it, I'm getting beat on a pitch that I have no confidence in, and that's hard to swallow. So I I understand the psyche of the guy at that time. But they got to understand the way that the you know a game plan works with a batter and and the way that they're 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 scouting you. They're scouting you with two pitches. They're not scouting you for that third pitch. They're gonna eat that. They're gonna spit on that third pitch. But if they see it, there's doubt. You can be a two pitch pitcher if you're a one inning reliever, though. Yes. Uh, Betances is a two pitch pitcher, fastball, curveball. Except his his curveball is an A plus pitch, and his fastball, when he can locate it, is an A plus pitch. So you have two A plus pitches. Lights out for the other team if you're only a one inning pitcher. Chad Green has an A plus fastball, but he's got like a C C plus slider at best. So we're not talking about the same kind of two pitch pitcher with Chad Green as we are with uh, a guy like Betances. No, not at all. And, and I, I mean, I think he could probably develop into that. And I think we saw flashes of that last year for sure. He could he could still be a dominant two two pitch guy if he wanted to be. Um, and again, like we've seen that, but. Right now, he's not. So he needs to adjust with what's happening currently and how he's pitching. 
And and you know if Romine does that, like Romine knows what he's doing. He he when when a guy like Romine says, uh, you know this is what what I think we should do. You should probably listen to him. He's been around for a while. He's been in the organization forever and a day. Um, he's just he's just one of those rock solid backup guys who could call a good game. So I, I I take a lot of stock in what Romine would say to a guy, and and they should too. And obviously they did, uh, and Chad Green did, and you know now we're seeing some uh, some better production. So. Tanaka, just quickly on Tanaka, he looked pretty good. He gave up the one homer um, in the game. But do you think if he didn't have to come up the next inning, he would have gone past six innings? Yeah, I think the National League definitely come, plays into that because he did look good, I thought. I, I thought that uh, I thought he did look good. I think that you know he gave up that solo shot, but that's what, that's what Tanaka does. He's aggressive around the plate, especially with a guy that – you know, it doesn't have any experience in the major leagues. Like he's going to throw the ball and, and challenge him. And, and the kid just put a good swing on the bat on the ball and, uh, and, and got a hold of it. But he's, I mean, that's Tanaka's MO. He's aggressive when there's nobody on base, especially to a guy that doesn't have a long history in the major leagues. And we got to see Tanaka bat with the bases loaded and not injure himself, which was, he looked a lot more athletic this time. I got to tell you, he, he, he did his pregame stretching. Yeah. I mean, even A-Rod, it was cause A-Rod was out there. It <laughs> must've been pregame warmups. Inspiration. But, Tanaka, stretch your hamstrings, stretch those hamstrings, and get that other run down the line. Look, he looked he looked actually very athletic, even with his uh, the way that he swung the bat. I thought he looked pretty athletic. He had some good hacks up there, and then running down the line looked good. So good for him. <laughs> he looked like a human he, running. He looked very like good. he looked. Very good I'd say he looked closer to an athlete than a human. You know who can't run right now? That's Chapman because he's on the DL with knee and his knee issue. Um, which we've known about since June, and the Yankees have been saying is not an issue since July, and Chapman has been saying is not an issue for three, four weeks, despite the fact that he comes in every other time and can't even locate the ball. Yeah, I I mean, they're saying it's not an issue. I wonder if that means that I'm not feeling it or it's not affecting how I pitch currently. Because, you know, when he's been in over the past month, he hasn't been able to throw a strike, you know, but maybe two times. Uh, the, the guy has had more terrible outings than he's had good outings. And you, know, you look at that and you're like, something's going on. Something is not right. This is not the same guy. You know, if, if it's the knee, then, then, uh, then let's take care of it. Let's take care of this knee. Because, yes, it's been a problem since the beginning of the season. We've known about it for a long time. Um, and, you know, whether they downplayed it, whether they're just listening to Chapman a lot more because he's a veteran guy, you know, I know that happens. I don't know what the deal is there, but there's a... Uh, it does. It's just this is one of those injuries you're looking at compared to all the other injuries, and you're like, okay, that makes sense. He has seven walks in his last four innings pitch, which is over the course of five outings. Yeah, that's terrible. And that's really that's basically since the beginning of August, which is starting with the Red Sox game that he blew, and we we saw it. He he did not look healthy, and the Yankees after the game was saying the knee is not an issue, and Chapman was saying the knee is not an issue. He's going to pitch through it. I get that. Maybe the only way to uh, heal this is to rest. And they were trying to give him uh, as much rest as possible. But to sit there and say that he, he, it's not an issue, I think, is, is a bold-faced lie. It's, it's clear this guy was not right. The velocity wasn't quite there. And also, the location was way off. So if the knee's not an issue, what is the issue? He just, he just forgot how to throw strikes? He forgot how to throw hard, too? Yeah, because he was throwing... I mean, this last one, when, when clearly the knee was the issue... Uh, he, he was hitting 95 occasionally on his fastball. When he, or I think when he threw one of his fastballs was 95 miles per hour. You could tell something wasn't right. You could tell which that he was Which is a changeup for Chapman. Which is a changeup. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, 
look, I, I don't think he's been right for a while now because you know I know he's he's a uh, he gets sporadic, but there's no excuse for for some of the outings that he's had. I mean, they've been just downright horrible. Uh, that's not a guy who's who's healthy. But do you think the Yankees botched this? Yeah, I think they did. Putting him on the DL, maybe. I think they could have put him on the DL near the All Star break because there was a, an outing before the All Star break, uh, or a point during uh, before the All Star break where they gave him a little extra time off in between outings. Said that he's dealing with some knee tendonitis, and we're going to give him a few days off, and he's not going to pitch during the All Star game, which will give him extra time off. Why couldn't they have just put him on the DL then? And rest him for two, even if it took three or four weeks. At least you'd have Chapman back right now and healthy. Now we're in a case where it's the end of August. He's going to go on the DL for 10 days. Is that going to fix it? Who knows? He might need a month. He might need three weeks. Who knows? I'd rather do the three weeks in July than in August and September. I mean, the thing that with tendonitis is that it comes back. And it comes it can come back frequently. So if we were to put him on... The uh, the DL earlier in the season, there's no there's definitely nothing to say that you know that it wouldn't have just come right back. Uh, so that's that is something. If it's a lot of times tendonitis can be managed, uh, and I think that's what was happening. I think that they were trying to manage it, and a lot of the management when you're talking about tendonitis because you can't see anything. It's not like the doctors can say, okay, well yeah, I see this. Uh, you know, his tendonitis is getting better unless they're looking at like inflammation. But that you know they got to go on what he's saying and how he feels at that point. And I think they tried to ride it as long as they as long as they could. But could there have been some preventative uh, measures to 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 kind of you know relax him um, up until this point? Yeah. But again, I think they're listening to him with a with an injury like this because it's not really an injury; it's just a, a lingering thing. They have to listen to the player, and if the player's not telling them that it's a problem, then I don't know what you do. You listen to the player for maybe two or three outings when he sucks, but when he sucks for four, five, six outings, then you don't listen to the player anymore. You say, we're putting you on the disabled list. Uh, so when, when you're we're talking about like a tendonitis shot or tendonitis, like why not try to go in there and if there is inflammation, let's, you know, give him a cortisone shot. Would have been good. I, you know, uh, I know you can only give X amount of those because you don't want to do too many, but something like that, that would, uh, you know, alleviate the inflammation and, and make him feel better and, uh, and, and last a little bit. And maybe they were waiting, if they were going to do it, give him a cortisone shot that they were waiting towards the end of the season to do that uh, so that it could, it could last towards, you know, you know into the, 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 the remainder of the, of the year and into the playoffs. I don't know. I don't know how those things are scheduled and how long they last, but I know you don't want to give too many of them. So th- that could be also a thing. They don't want to give it until they, they have to. Boone said that they're going to mix and match with the closer. Um, so we'll see Britton get a, a chance. Robertson, maybe if his shoulder is better, and also uh, Batances. But the Yankees acquired Britton a couple weeks ago, and it was the super bullpen. And now they are one guy down with Chapman and another guy who's kind of on the shelf with, with Robertson. Yeah, and then insert A.J. Cole as your Adam Warren substitute, and you're looking at a much worse bullpen. So hopefully there is some... Uh, Hopefully there's some some little some firepower on the way. Um, more everyone's killing Boone again for for the Wednesday game for leaving Lance Lynn in there for 110 pitches was it? Yeah. But you could tell he was getting gassed in the sixth inning. I get the logic. Boone was trying to push Lynn through the sixth inning because he was coming up in the seventh inning and he was going to pinch it for him anyway. So he was trying to be a little cute there. He was trying to get away with one and not have to burn another guy in the bullpen. 
I understand that logic. But once it gets to, once you see him go out there for the sixth and not look the same, and he puts two runners on base, you have to start getting someone warmed up in the bullpen. No one started warming up in the bullpen until it was first and second, and one run was already in. That's too late. You know, it's crazy that we're talking about such bullpen issues on a on a week. This is the week that we actually should be good. Right. We should two be rested. Off. We have two days off in this week. We're, we've been playing like consecutive games after consecutive game because of all of these rainouts and, and doubleheaders and all this crap. Like these guys have been playing with no issues really as much with the bullpen uh, until we have two days off and all of a sudden there are these things that come up. The problem here is, is that if you're trying to... Um, Take Lynn out at that point when you immediately see that he's gassed and you're trying to get somebody up. Who are you going? Who are you going to at this point? Because you're going to have to pinch hit for them, or they're going to hit uh, in the in the next inning. There's he's literally running into a body issue at that point. So I think the the decision is: Can Lynn get out of this? Can, can he manage the uh, uh, the rest of this inning and get out of it so that we can pinch hit for him and then we have two more guys to go for the rest of the game? You know. Th- that's one of the decisions to make at that point. And I mean, I understand. I, I see what he's trying to do there. To me, Lance Lynn is a guy that, you know, he's a big hoss guy. You're trying to stretch him as long as possible. Uh, just didn't work out. He left the ball over the plate and uh, got tagged up. So then you don't. So then Cashman needs to give Boone a better bench when he's in the National League. You can't have the bench be Voight, Robinson, and Torres with Higgy as your backup catcher. They had Chapman go on the DL, and instead they called up uh, Chance Adams, who I know pitched in the game. But did you really need Chance Adams to come up? Because Sonny Gray could have provided that that sort of mop-up duty that Chance Adams did. Why not call up another bench player just for this one game? See, I'm, I'm on the opposite side. I, I think they need more pitching right now. Because the other thing is Sonny Gray's pitching on Sunday because, he, pitchers? because of a damn doubleheader. Well, I mean, but it, no, but, it's but it would have been play. chance. But what I'm saying is, if you didn't call up Chance Adams there and you called up a bench player, then Sonny Gray would have pitched in mop up duty last night, which is fine. And then you have Chance Adams for the doubleheader on Saturday instead of Sonny Gray. Yeah, but you're down D Rob. You're down uh, Chapman. You needed another pitcher. The whole reason why Lance Lynn was left in that game is because there were no options in the bullpen. It had nothing to do with who was on the bench at that point. It had everything to do with who was available in the bullpen and how he could get through this game with the pitchers. Because otherwise, you got someone coming in and, and throwing, trying to throw strikes as a position player. Because there's just no options. Like To me, right there, he was so underwhelmingly... Uh, he was... He had nothing to go to as far as a, uh, his pitching staff. He was screwed. He was in a, a horrible situation because of who was unavailable. And with D-Rod being unavailable right now, you have a guy that's there, but he's not available. So now what do you do? You know what I mean? Like, When's I, the last time Robertson pitched? It was uh, during, in Tor- Toronto, up. right? Was it in the Toronto series? So you're, you're running into a, a, a problem there where, where Aaron Boone is – you know, used to have an embarrassment of riches in the bullpen. And now he's looking down the, the barrel of Lance Lynn, who's gassed and tries to, has to get through the sixth inning because there's a, a hitting situation because we're playing in the stupid National League where he's going to have to either pinch hit or get killed because he hits, have some uh, a reliever hit at that point when you're down. He's in a no-win situation right there. The, 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 the team did not allow for, for him to go out there and, make a, and have a, a good option of somebody to come in the game. He last pitched on the 17th, which was the Friday rain-shortened game against Toronto, which means it's been seven day, six days. So it'll be seven days uh, once they get to Baltimore. 
I mean, are they going to keep resting him? At that point, not, you, you might as well retroactively. Exactly. You could retroactive DL him at that point and only miss a couple a couple days at that point. Knowing that you're going to be in a DL in the National League situation where you're going to have to do some of these double switches and you're going to need extra bodies. They should have done that. Yeah, they yeah. should have done it. I get the I get the body. Like I said, I get the the body issue that um, the lack of bodies that Boone was dealing with. I get the logic behind leaving Lynn out there. But what I'm saying is, once you try that and you see it's not working, you have to be quicker to react. You can't let it get to a point where now I have to leave Lance Lynn in there to face Rojas because no one's ready in the bullpen, and boom, give up a two-run homer. Yeah, no, I agree that that you should be ready and prepared. It's just that he was in a he was in a situation where he was he was getting he was going to be screwed. It really was a it was a bad spot because if you bring, I mean, if you bring Canley in there and then you have to pinch hit for him. You know, then you you have Chance Adams for the rest of the game, and you have no other option. Right, you may be screwed either way because Canley came in and didn't look good, and Chance Adams came in and didn't look good. So, so you might have been screwed either way. He was screwed. It was in a tough spot. We're talking about the Marlins, though. Yeah, you got to beat the Marlins. You should not be screwed. You you should be able to beat the Marlins with a hand tied behind your back. I understand the Yankees have a hand tied behind their back right now, but you got to beat the Marlins still. Here's one of the bigger issues. How about we score some runs against the Marlins? How about we get into a position like this where we're actually, you know, scoring runs and, and giving the pitching staff an opportunity where they don't have to be perfect uh, out there and, and, you know, they can, they can make some more mistakes or they can, they can uh, you know, have at least a, a little bit of a cushion. But the bats didn't do a goddamn thing pretty much this and, you know, for when, when they were in Miami. It was a, it was a problem. The, they lit up the Toronto staff and then came down to Miami and forgot how to hit. And, and you know, the, the Miami Marlins walking in with uh, one of the worst ERAs bullpen-wise in baseball, and the Yankees can't do a damn thing. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of blame to go around. People are going to blame Boone because it's an easy thing to do. Uh, and when a team's not going right, you look at the manager. And, you know, there's, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of good reasons for that. But at the same time, you know, this team has to pick itself up in other situations. That's how they were winning so many games early in the season. When the pitching staff was good, a lot of times we didn't see the offense. When the offense was good, they were picking up the pitching staff because they weren't at their best. And this team right now is not picking up each other at all. We're not seeing that. We're not seeing them go out there and, and play inspired baseball. And yes, Pedro made an observation saying that they're not the same team. No, they're not the same team. Aaron Judge is not playing. Gary Sanchez is not playing. Didi Gregorius, not playing. A guy that would be able to come up here right now and play right field, and all of these issues would be done. Clint Frazier is not playing because he has still a head issue. Like This team is, is beat up and is going through some major adversity right now. And they got to squeak out of it because you know the, the road right now in front of us is about to get very difficult. Right, because in early September, they're going to Oakland for three games and then Seattle for three games. And Oakland right now is three and a half back of the Yankees. And if you're not healthy and playing better by that time, what happens if Oakland sweeps you? Now you're looking at having to go on the road for the wild card. And that would be a total nightmare. It would be a total nightmare. And I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm also, these, these teams are good now. You know, there were, there were times when the Yankees were struggling going out west just because it's a West Coast trip. But now you're going out there and, you know, the majority of those teams are good. And they're playing some, ins- they are playing some inspired baseball. Oakland's they have a the bunch hottest of team young- in baseball. They have a bunch of young guys that got nothing to lose at this point, And they're playing phenomenal. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a very tough spot. And if you're trotting out there, Shane Robinson in right field uh, and, and, you know, some of these other guys like Voight uh, playing first base against a lefty, which is at this point, ridiculous if that happens, um, then yeah, you, you have a, a tough road. So they got to they gotta, they gotta, they gotta do something. 
Hopefully the Yankees will have Gary Sanchez back by that West Coast trip because he's scheduled to play in Gulf Coast League games this weekend. Uh, and then he's going to move up, I believe they said, to Scranton to play a couple rehab games. And that should put him in line for coming back in early September. Judge, on the other hand, is still not going to be back. He has not even swung a bat yet. He went on the DL on July 26th. They said three weeks. It's obviously been more than three weeks. Yeah, and Cashman's uh, come out Cashman there and said it. Yeah. Admitted, yeah, Cashman admitted he was on the radio. He admitted they underestimated the timeline for Judge. Um, and they're just looking to get the, mo- the strength and mobility back in his wrist before they actually start having him swing. They haven't got there yet. But I'm now saying we're going to be looking at him coming. If he comes back, we're going to be looking at him coming back for middle of September, which gives him two weeks to really get ready for the wild card game. Um, are you comfortable with that? Like give two weeks with him just getting some game action? Is it going to be cutting it close on this timeline? What happens if he comes back and he's not the same player? There's a lot of stuff going on with this Aaron Judge injury. Yeah, and they're not going to rush him. They're not going to if he doesn't feel right. They're not going to. He won't come back. I mean, I could. Uh, there is. A, there's absolutely a very possible situation where we don't see Aaron Judge again for the rest of 2018. And, and if he doesn't feel 100 percent in that in that risk, they're not going to push it. They're just not going to. They're not going to. Um, they're not going to, you know, potentially put something at risk for a long-term situation uh, for Aaron Judge for coming back for the last month. Um, Clint Frazier is improving. We, we saw reports out of that from Brian Hoke saying um, that he's, he's starting to feel better and they're ramping up his baseball activities. So he could be an option coming up, you know, hopefully in the, uh, in the next couple of weeks if he continues to progress and gets, uh, gets uh, you know, all the baseball activities underneath him and is ready to get back. So that, that could be a big situation, but again, you just don't know because these, you know, for him, especially the, uh, the concussion symptoms have come back even when he's, uh, after he's played for a little while. So he's just, he's such a wild card right now. I think the, one of the, one of the big things for him is he's going to need is an off season to really just get some R and R. So. Yeah, I don't even know if they bring him back at all this season. They might might just tell him, listen, unfortunately it's a lost year for you. You got to get your head right. Just, Go home, sit in a dark room between now and next February. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, they're not going to mess around with him either with, with, with this. But uh, again, he's saying he's feeling better and they're ramping up baseball activity. So uh, that at least is encouraging news for, for the Yankees and for Clint Frazier. And you mentioned a body issue in the bullpen. Well, Justice Sheffield's going to help him in September because they moved him, shifted him to the bullpen in AAA. Cashman said the plan is for Sheffield to make three or four relief appearances to get him ready for a September call-up out of the bullpen. Yeah, is it September yet? I mean, do we have uh, – are we there yet? Well, everyone has been calling for Justice Sheffield for a month at this point uh, as a starter. And now we're going to probably get him as a reliever. Right. We said this is a possibility from – a while ago, just because of the innings limit, that's probably going to be on him. Yeah. So do you think you're, are you disappointed with the fact that they didn't have him pitch at all as a starter this season over the last month? No, I just, cause I didn't expect it again. I talk a lot about expectations. I, I, I didn't think that he had a chance to come up and pitch as a starter because of the innings limit. They're going to, again, this is another one of those guys that they have, uh, as a, a highly touted guy and, and they're not messing around with him. Um, so they didn't, they're, they're, they're definitely get, they have an innings limit on him. Um, he had an injury last year, so they're, they're playing it safe with him, I think. And, and if they see what they want to see out of the bullpen, then he'll be an option. But he's got to be able to throw strikes. That's been his biggest issue so far in, uh, in the minor leagues is throwing strikes. And obviously, um, you know, if you're going to come in in high leverage situations down the stretch with the Yankees out of the bullpen, you better damn well be able to throw strikes. Um, and I think he had a, a relief appearance either last night or the night before. Um, and, uh, and he did, he threw, he threw well and, and, uh, and had a, a clean outing. So 
If he could do that, I hope he can because he could absolutely help this team right now. He could definitely help his team. If he can prove that he can go in there and throw strikes, um, he's an arm that, that can definitely help. And he's a lefty arm, so uh, good, good, good stuff. That it'll be, I think it'll be a nice little jolt in the arm to see some of these guys come up. Unfortunately, we don't have many of those position players that are going to light the... Uh, you know, light the scene on fire unless we have a, a Shane Spencer situation where, you know, like a, a, a what's his face? Mick, uh, Mick Dreamy or whatever his name is, come, is coming up Mick and Mick Broomy is going to come up and, uh, and light it up in, in right field. Like he's an outfielder. How about we bring him up instead? He's got some pop. Do you think we're going to get some justice rules like we got Jabba rules? Probably. Yeah, yeah. probably. I have nightmare flashbacks from that. All right, Yankees are going to Baltimore for four games, the doubleheader on Saturday. Here's a quick recap of how the Yankees have played in doubleheaders this season. They split with Detroit on June 4th. They split the game-and-a-half makeup situation with Washington on June 18th. They split with Baltimore on July 9th, and they split with Kansas City on July 28th. Do you see a trend here? Yeah, Sonny Gray, how many times did he pitch in those, uh, in those doubleheaders? Well, Sonny Gray has won the three of his like seven wins as a starter against the Orioles this season. Yeah, uh, so... There's a trend in, in that they can't close the deal. Can't win two games, John. Just baseball. It's hard to do that, especially when you have Sonny Gray pitching. No confidence. Baltimore, Baltimore is on pace to go 48-114, and which is an inverse of the Yankees' 1998 season. Yeah, that's, uh, that's bad. Hopefully they can contribute to that a little bit further. The Yankees got to beat this team, man. That's, the Baltimore Orioles are, are just a shell of themselves right now. And I know we're saying that about the, the Marlins as well. But when you go into Baltimore and, and it's, a, it's a bandbox and you're dealing with a bunch of guys who are not major league players, you know, on the offensive side or on the pitching side, you got to beat that team. They're, they're worse than the Marlins uh, by a lot, I think, right now. You got to beat that team. I don't care where you're playing the games. Okay, let's final segment. Let's shift gears a little bit. Because the Yankees were down in Miami, we got a lot of Derek Jeter, the CEO stuff. And uh, there was a big article on ESPN last week about him, which was actually a really interesting article, I find. It kind of took us through the mentality and the process, the, the hashtag process that Derek Jeter is trying to implement there in Miami. And then we got that interview with Meredith Morakovich uh, on Yes, uh, where he said, I'll always be a Yankee and the captain. Which I'll always I think- be the captain. I think gave Yankees fans around the world a raging boner. Yeah, and apparently everything just goes down on that. Uh, <laughs> the uh, what just happened over there, Scott? Things are happening. No, yeah, when he says that, it's like you know this this is the guy. Oh, like okay, we thought we thought we lost you for a second, but then you just did that, Derek. You just did that. No, it's um, it, it was really. I thought it was very interesting. It was a good interview by by uh, by Meredith. Um, and I thought that that he was, you know, very wide open with what he's doing down there. And then again, you read that article from ESPN um, and he's he's wide open. He's he's trying to turn the Marlins into the Yankees. That's that's what's happening right now. He's he sees the fact that the cult, the, the culture in Miami is non-existent. And, and I think that's one of the biggest things when you're looking at what the Yankees have right now. There's an there's an undeniable culture of winning. And while the Marlins don't have the winning part of it, they have a couple World Series that are, that are mixed and sprinkled in there. Um, and you could probably hang your hat on those a little bit. But there's no culture of, of you know, doing things the right way um, from top to bottom. And I think that's what Jeter's trying to do. That was my main takeaway from the ESPN article is that the, Jeter came into that organization, took it over from Loria and, and that team, 
And he was like, holy crap, they, they do everything the wrong way. Whether it's on the field, front office, clubhouse, scouting. They were talking about how they, they didn't have proper food in the clubhouse and clubhouse attendees weren't getting uh, tips and the minor league facilities were garbage. And he was basically was just saying, everything is wrong about this situation. I need to change everything from the ground up. So he got himself in there and he's like, oh God, I got a lot of work to do here. I mean, even if you if you think back to um, when we had Billy McKinney on the show last year and we were talking to him about the differences in camps because he was with the Cubs, he was with the Oakland A's, and then he comes over to the Yankees. Um, and, and we've seen, we've actually talked to a couple of those guys who have, who have said this, where the Yankees are very regimented in what they do. They have plans, there's a schedule, the food is ridiculous. So I think the Yankees are an outlier with the way that they do things because of um, you know, obviously the, the fact that they have so much winning in their history, uh, they, they, they tear things up like they're the gold standard when it comes to baseball organizations or sports organizations, really. So there's a difference in, in the way that they handle things. And, and I think it was very evident in the way Jeter was talking about even tipping clubhouse guys, like stuff like that. When you have people that are happy in the clubhouse and people who are taking care of you, then it just permeates through the walls of, uh, of, a, of a good atmosphere and everybody around you, if everybody around you is happy, it's, it's a better atmosphere, bottom line. And when they know you're getting taken care of, there's just something to that. And I think that when he saw that, you know, there was kind of disarray in the Marlins organization and, uh, you know, I don't know if it's total flux and it was just a, it was done terribly, but it was done very differently than what the Yankees are used to and what Jeter's used to with the Yankees. And I think that's, you know, when you're looking at an A lineup and a, and a, and a, and an F lineup as far as food and, and situations with, uh, you know, with the, or with the setup of the facilities, you know, it's a big difference. And Jeter saw that. Isn't the food thing, doesn't it amaze you that there's organizations out there that don't focus on something so easy as the food? It's like, we have all of these players that we're investing money in. It's like you go out and buy a Porsche and then you're going to put the cheapest oil you can find in it. Right. No. Why don't you why don't you take care of your portion and make sure that the insides and the, are working as well as the outsides? It's like how does how does that get overlooked in an organ, in a professional organization? Yeah, I mean something as simple as the food, but I mean there's just so many different detailed aspects and you're definitely if you read this article you could see how much Jeter is is really trying to uh, to get his hands dirty. I mean talking about the promotions, the music, different elements right. about the in-game entertainment, he, like he's really he's getting focused in the dirt. on in stadium entertainment. Can you believe that? Yeah. No, I love it. I absolutely love it because one of the big takeaways when I was listening to uh, the interview with him and Mer uh, Meredith is he, he said that, you know, he likes to build things and, and that's, that's one of his, his passions. He likes to go in and build. And we saw that with, you know, with Jeter and the Players Tribune. I mean, he took that from nothing, from uh, an idea of, of something that was so foreign to everybody who knows Derek Jeter in the media and and he built it out to this what now is a, a thriving organization that you know he he had probably something to do with the beginning of it and i'm sure he's in like high level meetings but you know he built things like that he put a template into into play with the the help of an inner inner uh, solid inner circle and, and now you're seeing a a good organization so I, I like the fact that he's he's down in, in the in the in the weeds and trying to uh you know make sure that everything is good from top to bottom because that's important details are important and he's doing the captain's camp, which is a, a carryover from the Yankees. M Mike Lowell and Alfonso Soriano were some of the speakers for the Marlins this year at captain's camp. They're taking language classes. He says we need to learn all the English, uh, uh, English speaking 
clubhouse people, um, front office people, as well as players need to learn Spanish and vice versa. All the Spanish speaking players need to learn English because that's the only way there's going to be open communication. They're in a city that has a heavy um, uh, Latin influence. So he's trying to bridge that gap. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, you talk about the captain camp, but he's also bringing back a, a, a lot of his buddies. You're seeing Tino in the box with uh, Jeter quite often. You're seeing Jorge come back. You're seeing a lot of the guys that he played with have some kind of an influence. And, and I'm sure he's using them as consultants in the sense that he's, he's you know, ping-ponging ideas off of these guys and say, hey, do you remember this? What did we do here? What did we do here? How did the Yankees handle this? How did the Yankees handle that? So he's got a lot of support, I think, with, uh, with the guys that he played with and, and what he's trying to build uh, down in Miami. So it's interesting to see it, and I think it'll be interesting to watch the, the progression of how that organization um, you know, moves forward and, and does things. And I, I think it's, it's okay as a Yankee fan to look at that from, because they're such a, a distant, they're so far away, and, and you know, they're in the National League, and it doesn't, they'd be competing with the Mets, so that's something to, to, to pull for. You know, maybe they'll just they'll take over the NL East. Um, but it'll be very interesting to see how that organization changes over the next five, 10 years. And also you, you mentioned he's bringing in his buddies, Gary Denbo, uh, who's from the Yankees organization yeah. is, uh, the head of scouting for the Marlins. Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's one of the, the other reasons why Stanton was such a big, um, was, they had such an influence on Stanton because Denbo knew the entire, uh, you know, minor league system when, when you're talking to these guys. So there was a lot of familiarity between these two teams and, and that's not a bad thing when you have friends on other teams. Don't you still think, though, the biggest hurdle for them is going to be the lack of fan interest in South Florida and in Florida in general for for outside baseball teams? You have so many transplants. Like, if you just look at Tampa, Tampa has been a respectable team for 10 years, and they they don't sell shit. Yeah, I mean, I also think that there's no culture for for the fans to really latch onto either. I think if you, if you establish some type of a culture and you can get them on board, there's still a lot of, there's still a lot of people in Miami who are, are, are there and uh, who grew up there. And like you talked about, there's a huge Cuban influence in Miami as well. Like there's a, there's a lot of people that you can absolutely start, start getting to better uh, and get them as uh, diehard fans. And, and what the Yankees have always done is they've, they've started young, like you got to start these fans out, the kids that are growing up in Miami right now. Like those are the kids that you don't, you need to start targeting and get them to be diehard fans. Because obviously when they grow up and, and they start going to games more often and they tell their parents, hey, I want to go to a Marlins game. I want to go to a Marlins game. And then they and then, you know, that's how you could progress and you get generations of fans is when you start them super young. So I think Jeter understands that. Uh, and, and that's, you know, one of the one of the big focuses they'll try to do. So but there's still a big population in Miami, it's still a major market. Uh, it's bigger than you know, when you're looking at where Tampa is, Tampa's got other issues too. Miami to me is an, is an interesting spot because they have a new facility. Um, you know, now there's a new culture with Derek Jeter leading the charge. So you could definitely get a lot of people, I think in on board with that. Do you feel that Derek Jeter has distanced himself from the Yankees organization over the last five years? Yeah, for sure. But he did that before he was with care? the Marlins. Do you care? No, because I think I expected it as well. I expected Jeter to go and retire and not show up in front of the Yankees for a while. Uh, maybe why occasionally. Think, why do you think he did that? Because I think that's the only way for him to to completely move forward in his life. He he he'll always be like you said. He'll always be the, a New York Yankee. He'll always be the captain, which I thought was interesting because he doesn't really ever refer to himself as the captain. No, I I I understand. Like when he said, "I'll always be a Yankee," yeah. I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." I've heard that before. Then he said, "I'll always be the captain." He gave a little smirk. He's yeah. Like, oh, shit, I can't believe I just said I, yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. I was surprised he said that too because that was something I've I don't remember ever hearing out of his mouth. Um, no. But yeah, no, I, I mean, I think he's, the, he's always been a private guy. So I think that I expected him to be way more private 
Um, I was, I mean, I think everybody was shocked when he came out and said, I'm starting the Players Tribune. We're like, what? You're starting an organization where the athletes talk to the, as, as media? I mean, right. fundamentally, <laughs> when you think about it, it, it kind of makes sense where they're dictating their terms. Uh, and, and I but think he never says anything. He never, he never said, said anything, anything. But but when he did, he dictated the way he did it. Right? Like it wasn't. Yeah. It was on his rules. It was on his accord. So and he had that publishing company too. So he was doing a bunch of stuff in that first couple of years. Yeah. Um, and the publishing company was for. It's a kids. It's all kids. Kids. Books. Kids. Pu- yeah. So I don't even know what happened with that. But. It's still doing. He still has it. I have like five of the books sitting in my. Do in, you? In do you really? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I, I have a lot of the Jeter books. Like they were given as gifts, and I've, is there I've like seen a Jeter them. insert in the cover or something like that? There's a there's a kid that that is basically Derek Jeter. Yeah, there's a there's a whole there's a whole Yankee theme to to all of them. So again, mm-hmm. that goes down to Kemp is going to be reading these books. I'm going to be reading these books to him as uh, you know he's going to be taking these characters through their stories and their Yankees and their kids growing up. You know, uh, rooting for the Yankees. So if you don't think Derek Jeter's publishing uh, agency is going to start coming out with some Marlins books that have to do with the kids, you're crazy because that's what he's going to do. Um, he's going to get know, to the, the the young kids. You know who looked pissed off is Hannah Davis. <laughs> she looked she so looked miserable. Agitated. To be there. She's like, oh, God, I, I thought I was going to you know, marry Derek Jeter at the end of his career, and yep. he was going to have all his time for me and our baby. And instead, he went and became the CEO of a friggin' baseball team. No, see, I think it's, I think it's different here. This is my take. I'm like, I, I bought the Yankees. And and now I'm given the Marlins. Like, oh, I, I thought God. I was getting myself into the Yankees organization. Like I'm, right. I'm, I'm getting like the guy in the Yankees organization. And now he's now not doing anything with the Yankees organization. And I'm stuck with the Marlins. This is the right. team that I have to watch uh, every day in the in the yep. box. Yeah, it's bad. Yep. She you looked. Thought you were buying. She, she looked at. Like she didn't want to be there. You thought you were buying Coca Cola stock. Instead, you got like the the generic store brand cola. Yeah. You're drinking RC coal at that point, and it's flat. Right. Okay, uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Yankees, like I said, heading to Baltimore. want to see a strong series there. And it's less about, honestly, my feelings right now. I have, once the Yankees got swept in Boston, I said the division is unrealistic. Just start playing well and get healthy for for the one-game wild card. That's all I'm looking for now. I just need to, We just need to start seeing this team play better is the bottom line, I think. Well, I mean, health is the is the number one thing for that. I think they need to get healthy. Bottom line is they need to get healthy. And when you get your bodies back, when you get your players back, naturally you're going to start playing better. But I mean, I'm still on I'm still on the sense that you know we have what, a week plus left in in August. If they could continue to win some games and they have winnable games in front of them, and then they have that West Coast trip, um, you know, and, and let's just see what happens. Pick your head up and see where Always you are. Always the, the optimist, beginning. Scott. Always Gotta be the optimist. I mean, there's nothing else to be at this point. You, you have to look at the glass half full. Yeah. You try because you're looking at what this team is, and it's very easy to be negative when you look at the players uh, who, who are left standing right now. But at the same time, you know, there's, there's reserves on the way. They're getting healthy. And, uh, you know, there's still an entire month of baseball to play in front of, uh, in front of us. So. All right, our next episode is on Monday. We're going to be doing mailbags as well as voicemails on that show. So submit mailbag questions at bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast or tweet us at Yankees Podcast and post them in the Facebook group. Uh, it's the Bronx Pinstripe Show on Facebook. And also light up the voicemail line, 646-480-0342. We will talk to you on Monday. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. 
We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.